it's funny because like I certainly am windows through and through. I like I bleed blue in my orientation. But you know, it's not like people interact with windows in the ether. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, you know, you're walking through and you smell windows. It is entirely, entirely brought to life through hardware. And I think the Surface hardware, the, you know, I've gotten a chance to play. I'm not allowed to yet own. You know, we prioritize putting the volume into the channel. So, you know, it's like waiting for my Xbox. I'm like last in line. That being said, like the innovations to unlock those and marry those is one of the reasons we actually do Surface is it helps us have a level of empathy and understanding for how you bring Windows innovation through the object people interact with. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I'm John Rittinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets. And John, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm good. I feel like we haven't talked to each other in uh, in a while. It's been a little bit, but to make up for that, we've got a special episode today. And I know every week it's a special episode. But this one I think is is extra special. I mean, to hundreds to hundreds of millions of people, extra special. In my opinion, the most important piece of software ever written is windows it's tough to tough to argue we are on the cusp of the launch of the next version of windows windows 11 and this week we have the dare i say honor privilege and responsibility to talk with the vice president of windows marketing aaron woodman we have him here this week aaron how are you doing sir I'm good. And for, for everybody listening, I, I do just want to just put a disclaimer before we start the podcast. This is nothing. This is not a sponsored thing. There's there's no money changing hands here. We just generally wanted to talk Windows 11 and we went to the expert. We went to the guy who helped bring this thing to life to ask questions about it. Right. There's there aren't that many new versions of, of Windows that come out. It's not a, a giant thing every four or six months. It's a it's a big deal when a new version of Windows comes. And by the time people are watching this, either it's already out or listening to this, it's either it's probably already out and probably already on your PC. Yeah, just so we're clear, what I took away is I'm not getting paid for this. Is that is that what I should walk away with? <laughs> that, 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 that is, is true. Correct. Okay, yeah, <laughs> got it. I mean, I'm pretty sure you've been putting in the long hours though on this launch. Yeah, I, you know, I think people always underestimate the amount of work it takes to bring a version of Windows to the market. You're, you know, you're talking of really one of the most scaled software offerings on the planet, not just historically, but today. And so, yes, there's not just a lot of hours, but a lot of sleepless nights trying to get it right and bring it to the market at scale. Yeah. And there's a lot inside of Windows 11 that are making it sort of a huge release. I mean, you integrated Android apps, widgets, Teams integration, you know, better integration with Xbox gaming, sort of improved virtual desktop support easier transitions. I mean, from from monitors, there's a lot that's inside of Windows 11. And you can see all the reviews people have of the software. But what we really wanted to talk to Aaron about was the story, the people that went into making Windows 11 a thing. There's always a story behind the release. So let's start there. When, when Microsoft, you know, when you guys sat down and said, okay, we want to move on from Windows 10, which has certainly served us very well. We want to create a new a new version and a new number. What was the objectives and what were the reasonings, at least, behind going towards even just the numbering scheme of 11 instead of keeping it as, as 10? 
Yeah, I think, you know, weirdly on the question, I would put that maybe in opposite order. And the reason I say that, it's not like internally we started with, oh, we're going to build a thing called Windows 11. What should be in it? it? It was really kind of a pursuit of what innovation is going to be meaningful? How do we bring that to market? And then looking at the totality of that type of innovation and sitting with customers, it was almost a conclusion to drop into Windows 11 to give people vocabulary and language to describe the step function change. And so it wasn't like we sat and said, okay, we're, there's this thing called Windows 11, now define it. It was really about trying to understand what customers need, what they want from future innovation from Windows, and then looking at that package. And so the first thing I would just say is I would put those in reverse order. So when you're building Windows 11, I think it's pretty obvious, but most people don't realize you're also still building Windows 10. You're still updating Windows 10. So... What's the decision-making process? So Windows 10 was released roughly six years ago. It's been updated very regularly, gotten new features very regularly. At what point do you say, okay, these features or this feature set, this is not going to be included in a Windows 10 update. We're going to save this for something bigger. Yeah, I think if I had to pick two points of decisions that really kind of tipped us over the scale, point number one is actually modification of a broad set of user experiences. It's the UI, it's the UX, it's the shell experience. Windows, you know, you're talking about a piece of software that's used by 1.3 billion people on earth. And when you change how that works, it requires people to make a active choice. It's a point of differentiation from previous versions. That really, when you see the totality of the shift of the, the user experience, there's a lot of familiarity inside that. But at the same time, it's very difficult to feel like those are going to be the same thing for a customer. That's number one. Number two is really the change of making a commitment relative to quality, performance, and security and taking that a step function further. And that takes us into well, what types of devices are going to be able to deliver on the promises customers have. Those are two of probably the most consequential decisions meeting the fundamentals what that customers want and a massive shift in terms of the user experience. And once you get to those two things, you have a third choice around not just naming, but what do we do with customers that prefer Windows 10 or want to stay on Windows 10 or have a device that doesn't meet those system requirements. And, and again, from a Microsoft perspective, and even from a Windows one, we want to you know love all of our customers. And so that puts you into a situation where if you believe with conviction around the customer quality fundamentals and the user experience, that the likely outcome or the most customer driven one is to continue to maintain and invest in Windows 10, including new features that are coming this year, but also create this innovation package that deserves a new name. And in this case, it's Windows 11. Regarding innovation, I think some people would look at or would wonder when you have so many people using Windows, especially business customers, where I think it's much easier for a consumer to update and be excited about new features, whereas businesses are like, no, we need it to be exactly the same at all times. And as you said, you maintain previous versions of Windows, but how do you kind of nudge businesses or customers who might be missing out on the newer innovations that you're providing in a new experience just because they're so used to what they've just been using and don't want to change? 
Yeah, any innovator is faced with this tension of what do I do to serve my current customers? How do I keep them? And how do I both get net new customers, but also move them forward in a way that they love my product or use my product more? And so that is like a constant dilemma. It gets harder the larger the scale of the problem. We're at a point where we're, I don't know, one in seven humans on earth are using this on a you know daily basis. And so the needs and the consistency are very real. It's also one of the reasons why if you look at Windows, the servicing lifetime, the commitment to keep those products up to date are incredibly long. Even with Windows 10, you have almost half a decade left of serviceability. And so the first thing that and it's true around commercial customers. It's also true about individuals. They want to know that when they buy a product that there's longevity there. And that's one of the things Windows does, I think, incredibly, incredibly well. In terms of moving people, man, I wish there was one simple answer. And the truth is, you know, again, it's not like there's one set of humans called 1.3 billion Windows customers. It's, you know, it's, it's my individual needs. It's your individual needs. It's your individual business or organization or school and so you really get into which organizations and how do you service them well, effectively at scale. There's some good things that are happening because of that, that actually help us that have nothing to do with Windows 11. It's really how the world has dramatically shifted in terms of how they have to work, learn, play, you know, get after what they're passionate about. And that's something that's a very unique that I think sometimes goes undernoticed around Windows 11, which is imagine software at this scale, but doing so entirely inside the planning and strategy inside the world reacting to a pandemic. And that has actually fundamentally shifted how people use a device like a PC. And it gave us a unique opportunity to understand some of those patterns and address them inside the release. And so when you ask me, how do you nudge someone forward? I'd say like the innovation is highly relevant relative to the acceleration that most humans have experienced in terms of their dependency on the PC itself. And those are the stories we tell just differently for gamers or people doing homework or schools or you know, pick your favorite Fortune 500 company. And those are the stories that ultimately nudge and move people forward. You know, at the end of the day, it's a very selfish question that customers ask, rightfully so. But they're like, yo, are my employees going to be happier? Are they going to be more productive? You know, those are actually what they're trying to solve for. It's not like they're like, oh, I'm trying to solve for a new edition of Windows. They're trying to solve for those selfish needs that really drove them to buy Windows in the first place. And those are the things that we think are going to motivate customers and get them to move. That makes sense. So, Aaron, if I can, I want to I want to start back at the beginning a little bit. because I think most people under the perception that that Satya sits everybody down, you know, developers, marketing and says, listen, we need Windows 11. It comes after 10. We need a new a new version. But that's not what happened. Right. And I think you touched on an interesting point of the pandemic changing how people use their computers. So can you kind of walk through the, I just love to hear that you talked about it a little bit with the thought process of putting together these new features and realizing what you had was more than just an upgrade to an existing operating system. What you had was something very new. Yeah, maybe I'll probably dispel a common myth that I do everything on Windows. It's <laughs> not the case. There are literally thousands of engineers, there's thousands yeah. of customer facing roles that work on Windows. That's one of our, honestly, our biggest gifts. And culturally at Microsoft, 
there's not like a hierarchy top down. There are times I wish that was the case because decisions would move faster. I'm sure a lot of people in large companies feel that way, but that's not really how it happens. There are kind of leads inside the engineering team that often have, you know, paired customer facing roles. I I play that, for example, on the consumer side where I'm spending a lot of time with just consumers and everything from focus groups to structured data to looking at actually telemetry data or different use cases that kind of feed into a centralized team so that we can prioritize that work. Once we prioritize, and that work isn't like feature A or feature B. It's like need A, challenge B, like problem C. And we really sit down and and really look at those challenge and opportunity spaces and start to build and codify a plan. And that takes an enormous amount of time and more people than you would think just because of the global nature and the scale of, of, of Windows. And that includes like one of the richest value chains out there in terms of silicon, OEMs, retailers, you know, ISVs, game manufacturers, all providing feedback. And so that takes in some cases six to nine months just to codify kind of a architecture of a plan, primarily articulating the problems. And from there, it's debate. And there's a bunch of feasibility studies. Can we actually move that forward in a meaningful way for those customers that result in an initial product plan. And then there's just a lot of engineering hours <laughs> that, that go into sure. it. You know, you're talking about a, a just a massive code base. And so those are kind of the way the decisions. Weirdly, Satya, and, and to his credit, plays a coaching-like role, not so much a decision role. The other person I would probably highlight is probably the newest character with probably the biggest influence is, is Panos Panay. You know, this is a guy that, you know, is a certainly, you know, an innovator. He's he's our chief product officer for the company. Coming into Windows in that same time created this internal spark where I think people were really willing to look at like age-old challenges and, and, and problems and beliefs and challenge those in the service of customers. And so he created this energy that helped us really as a catalyst to get kind of after that plan and be a little bit more audacious in terms of what we aspire to achieve. That's fair. So talking about Windows 11, there's, I mean, there are thousands of changes inside of it that, that make it new. But I think the most, probably the, the most vocal, maybe most controversial, at least the one people are going to notice immediately, is the redesigned sort of a taskbar and start menu, right? And you can, you can see the evolution of, of Windows changed by what happens to the start menu. So can you talk about that, the decision to move it, why it was made? I mean, I think that, that people are going to look at this and make, that's different. And why is it better? Yeah. And, and why is it better? Yeah. You know, it's design is this really fascinating space. And, you know, and the reason I say that specifically, especially with, with the start menu, I think you're right. It is probably the most iconic change that people will notice immediately. It's kind of this beautiful amalgamy of both art and science and you know, from an art perspective, there's a very subjective view of what is beautiful or simple in its in its appearance. And we supplement that different design opportunities with rational data. A, a simple example is if you look at the mouse on a screen and all you cared about is efficiency of the OS, 
the mouse is more likely closer to the center than to the bottom left corner as just a simple example. And so you'd say like, oh, well, if we can find design language that has an aesthetic appeal, but also has things like efficiencies, that's going to be a better total system. And so it's an example of how those two come together. There's also some really fascinating step functions around how we know or have confidence. You know, there's all the historic ones like, you know, you sit down with customers like, do you like it? The second ones are like, can they complete tasks? Like, hey, is it harder to do something you do every day? But we've taken that kind of to the nth degree. In fact, we're using MRI machines today. What do we use MRI machines? Well, because especially when it comes to the visual nature of that and the subjectivity, it's very difficult to get customers to articulate how they feel about using any one user experience. So MRIs give us an opportunity to present images while people are in the MRI machine and start to look at which areas of the brain fire. And so (laughs) you can imagine, first of all, it's a hilarious setup because you have Mm. this, I don't know if you've ever been to an MRI machine, but it's like this clunk, 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 very loud, very large machine, which people are stable and put into this thing. Then they're presented images. And what we basically are able to see is which centers of the brain fire. And you can imagine you want the really logical ones that deal with complexity to shrink. You also want places that represent things like the joy center to grow. Now, that's not something you can easily ask a customer. How much joy does this user experience bring to you? And yet the MRI gives us a lot of detail around how people interact with that. And so the user experience is an expression, I think, of both art, of science, and and being able to meld those together in a way that you get both more efficiency, better tuned capabilities, but also a better almost physiological reaction to it. And it's a good example of, I think, you know, our kind of hunger for both data that melds those two things that are also oftentimes very difficult or very subjective. And I think starts a great example of that. Oh, that's, that's a fair point. I didn't expect all that. That was, that was an incredible answer. Like, I think most people just think, well, we just, we'll just move some stuff around. <laughs> oh, they just move some stuff around. They just want to make it look different. This man's talking about going into an MRI machine. Yeah, I will. I will tell you, I love that. You, <laughs> I love that you say that because again, think about how we do planning. It's not like we started with, we need a new design to support a windows 11. It's the challenge. And one of the things that you see, honestly, in the pandemic, I mean, I feel it in my house. I have two teenage daughters is you spend now so much time in front of this object, this PC, that is now this window to like literally my job at the end of the day. And that has a weight to it. And if you can shave a little bit of complexity, a little bit of the aggravation or the orientation or the struggle even in just micro fashions, but you do that now, you know, eight to 10 hours a day over a year, that's meaningful for customers. And so the problem statement was really around fatigue and exhaustion, spending this much more time, something you you really uniquely saw during the pandemic. It wasn't like, oh, let's draw some new pictures because people will understand that. So I wanted to ask also an interesting point about being in front of a computer for so long, but the integration with Windows 11 and the mobile world is an interesting play, right? You spent much saying we spend hours in front of our, our computers, but also we're spending way too many hours in front of our phones. But Microsoft, I think, makes some of the best OS agnostic mobile apps going. If you're on an iPhone, we've got apps. You're on Android, 
you know, we, we, we have apps, but I like to talk about the, the idea of sort of trying to merge the mobile and desktop because they're very heavy play with Android integration inside of, of Windows 11. And that's going to take people have to get used to that. And then that's true. I mean, if you had a Samsung phone, you could download a Samsung app, then you can mirror your, your phone on Windows. But this is baked into the OS. That's a big change. Also, I think it changed how people have to think about their mobile apps, right? Is it just an app on my phone? Or is it something that I can work on or use no matter where I am? So I'd love to hear about Microsoft's thought process on sort of merging mobile and sort of, I guess, the desktop side now with Windows 11. Maybe I'll give you two things to start, and then we can talk about the implementation or some of the things with customers. The first is, you know, I'd ask you, like, do you think the world is better off with platforms that are open for innovation or closed? I think that's honestly one of the the questions that we have to ask ourselves. And at least from Microsoft's point of view, we believe the world is better off when platforms are open. And the reason why is, man, innovation comes from everywhere. (laughs) To me, if you're trying to think about customers and a platform servicing those customers, you wouldn't want to prevent them from experiencing any of that innovation. So that's just statement number one. The second is is a basic problem statement, honestly, which is imagine for a second you prioritize efficiency and productivity on Windows. Just like I want to get stuff done. And then you start to look not just at the Windows device, but the surrounding cacophony that surrounds those customers trying to be more productive or efficient. And one of the things you see, especially over the last couple of years, is that many people have their phone right next to them, right next to them while working on the PC. Like, I guarantee, let's take a poll. Let's let's have all your listeners raise their hand if right now there is at least two devices in that room. You know, it's... Two. It's, I mean, <laughs> two. Right. And so, like, then the question is, why do you have those multiple devices and what cost? And so I'll give you a little bit of secret insight on me. I love celebrity gossip. I'm not going to lie. Like, I am addicted to TMZ. It's like a real thing. And I use it throughout the day as like a break, as taking a moment and being like, that was intense. I didn't get fired. You know, (laughs) like, you know, my kid's homecoming is this week. She's found a dress. We're good to go kind of thing. And like, so like TMZ is like my, you know, coffee break kind of from those moments. But as soon as I pick up my phone to look at that TMZ and try to get back to whatever I was doing, there's a cost. There's a cost of like, where was I? If you're writing something, you reread it, you get reoriented to what you're using. And so that's a problem. It's not that TMZ is bad or that the phone is bad. It's that the reason you go to that phone and the cost of doing it going back and think about it more like tax. It's not like I want to spend less time on TMZ or less time on my productivity. It's the transitions that count. And so those are the two things I would offer up. Just basically forget the desire to have Amazon apps or Android apps or anything like that. Just think about like, do we want worlds where platforms are open and all innovation is welcome? Or do we believe that should be a siloed process? And then the secondarily, how do we solve for this device that, you know, so critical to us, but is also robbing us by this tax of transition? Before we get to the next question, I would like to take a quick break and ask you, what 
was the celebrity gossip of the day for you so oh, there, far today? There, oh, there fuck, can we not? I mean, it's obviously Britney. I just need to know. It's Britney, right? Like, don't we agree that the single most important <laughs> celebrity... I mean, it follows over to... Yes, I have been following it daily. <laughs> Let's talk about features. So we talked about the redesign. We talked about the taskbar and the start menu. This week, as Windows is launching, as people are downloading, what are the things that they should be looking for. What should people be checking? I'm talking about consumers here because our show is geared towards the average consumer, the bleeding edge consumer. What are the things that you, you've baked in for them to enjoy? Man, I think there's a long list, but I'll give you some of the ones that I think are going to be instantly obvious and ones that I think, at least from our research and the feedback we've gotten early from customers have driven the most excitement. And you hit on one right off the bat, which is the design. I, you know, it's noticeable. I yeah. think it's iconic. I personally find it beautiful. You know, the brain scans of a lot of human beings tell us it's it's more acceptable. So certainly number one, but we've talked about it. There are two yeah. others that I think are going to be instantly obvious. And again, it's kind of an insight relative to how people use devices. And that's snap layouts, snap groups, and desktops. All that is, is a fancy word to say, like, we're going to help organize applications in the service of a single task. And so I don't know, like I'm sitting here at my desk, I've got two beautiful 27 inch 4K displays. I'm a, I'm a lucky individual. I'm not starving for tech in my house. Inside that, though, I'm running an application where I can see and talk to you. I've got a browser open. I've got some notes. I have a supporting yeah. team in case there's stuff. I don't know. I need an instant answer. There are like four or five applications open to help me just do this one task, talk to you and, and, and your listeners about Windows 11. And the question is, how do you organize all that? How do you make that make sense? And so what we've seen is people spend time managing their windows. It's like, oh, I want this over here. I want that. And we can automate that through these layouts. And the beautiful part about that is once that layout is organized, it really is a unit within the system. All that means is if I open up a browser to go look at TMZ and I close that browser, that, that group is still there. I can switch between it. If I unplug my laptop from these beautiful monitors, it has an orientation of what to do with that group. And when I redock, it instantly rehydrates based upon the monitors. And so that's one where I think everyone will be like, man, I do that all the time. That's going to be something I think is is really reflective of, of how we've used our PCs for a while, but more uniquely right now. So snap layouts, snap groups, and desktops, I think that's going to be hot. The next one is chat. Like, I think everyone at this point has used some form of video teleconference software. Yeah, or, yeah of course. You know, like, it's we kind of have to live this way. I've done birthday parties, happy hours, graduations, and a wedding, which was bizarre, over this type of, of software. And, you know, I'm so thankful that there's a lot of providers that, that allow for that. I think one of the challenges is there's a massive proliferation of that software. And so if I'm joining my school, it's on Zoom. If I'm at work, it's on Teams. If it's you know, yeah. my buddy's trying to get together for a pandemic-free golf round. Like, all of those are different communication styles. And they exist partially because access and devices have been barriers of entry. So, you know, I yeah. have good friends that all use FaceTime. Well, I don't, I don't have an Apple phone. I have an Android phone. So how do I participate in that? 
or if you're on Zoom on a regular basis and you want to reach someone that's at work uh, and they use Teams, it's like this, you know, this horse trade that you've got to do that makes yeah. that really difficult. And so the idea of integrating that directly in Windows in a way that works across platforms. Yes, there's an iOS iPhone client. Yes, there's an Android client. Yes, you can do it on a Mac. Yes, you can do it on Windows 10. And you can interact right from the start, I think is meaningful. And it's, you know, like it's changed my house. I have like two teenage daughters. You can apologize now because the house is <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> yes, insane. But it's fascinating. Like when they're at home doing school, I'm working, my partner's working in the house. You would have these little issues such as, hey, I made chicken last night. There's leftover. Who gets to eat it for lunch? Like, you know, that's like a yeah. real life problem. And what was happening yeah. before is much like this. I'm in a spare bedroom. Someone would come barging in regardless of what I'm doing because they want to eat the damn chicken. <laughs> now what happens is my whole family's just on chat. And essentially, I get these little pop-ups. It's very easy. And we can resolve that without massive disruption to my day. And so I think those are really good examples that people see off the bat. There's a lot more. But I think those are the three that people are going to see almost instantaneously. And I think find real pervasive value at scale. Just a quick follow-up on video chat. I was curious, why did Microsoft choose Teams, which to me feels like a work app versus something like Skype to be the the built-in Windows video chat feature? It's a hard-hitting, hard-hitting question. That, that's <laughs> a hard-hitting, man, we've got different definitions. No, look. Hashtag not sponsored. Again, like I think oftentimes we get hung up on brand names and it's super helpful because it helps people make shortcut decisions in a lot of cases. From an innovation perspective, all I care about is tech. What's the fundamentals? And I would ask, like, let me ask you, like, would you rather have a system that is hardened enough for the DOD to use it in your life, knowing that you have that level of confidence at that type of scale, leveraging that type of places? Or would you like a consumer grade company that's just starting out with net new tech to actually support yeah. communications? And so, like, I look at it, I'm like, look, I got this off the shelf capability that will, is hardened, is massively used, has incredible global infrastructure at scale, and I can deliver that to a consumer? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> it's a fair answer. I want to bring it back to Windows 11. As you're talking about plugging your PC, the first question that I had was, what PC are you using? Somebody has access to everything. We, Andrew, people ask, us, people ask us all the time, what phone are we using? You know, we've accessed all these phones. Like, what? what's the PC you're using? Yeah, I, so I'm looking at my desk right now in, in full okay. full transparency, and I've got four devices in front of me, okay? I have a Surface Pro, okay? In fact, I use that to actually take my notes as an example. Simultaneously, okay. I have a beautiful... We need we need the full, the full... Is this a Surface Pro 8? It's not. Like, I'm not... I, I don't, like, look. I know. Should we call okay. us right now and be like, yo, what's up? Like, honestly, <laughs> take care of me, yo. I have a cyber power PC gaming rig. Okay. In full okay. transparency, I have ordered a new device, but it's, I think, 10 weeks out because I'm waiting on a 3080 graphics card, as most of the planet is. And I'm yeah. unwilling to spend the night in front of Best Buy to get one dropped. I have a Dell XPS, and I have a, a Lenovo device here as well that, that is essentially a convertible. So those okay. are really my four daily drivers 
as an example. And then when I travel, I carry an HP Spectra because I like the leather. <laughs> I have four it's, daily drivers. Hey, Usually daily driver means like which one device. Is- <laughs> I spent an enormous amount of time on my gaming PC, mostly because I would say 80% of the meetings are I, I'm in are very valuable. The other 20%, I can multitask and play Fortnite. <laughs> there you go. So I know I know hardware is not your jam, but and then question maybe for Andrew, like Microsoft also is launching Windows 11 with like some new, like very tasty bits of hardware coming with it. And Andrew and I had a chance. We've had a chance to, to see these devices. These are these are new. And this is like a new way to look at a PC. I'm talking specifically about the Surface Studio laptop. Like that's a very new thing. And when I had a chance to see it for the first time, I held it and I was like, oh, this is a new design. I didn't even dawn on me that the screen could flip and bend. It's interesting to see the merging. I'm bringing it back to the software side. But you take a device like that, a clearly a flagship device that, that anybody, no matter what industry they're in, could find, could find use for. And it's a different approach to a PC. If you want a laptop with a keyboard, you have that option, right? Traditional input. But Microsoft has been really at the forefront of using finger, res- finger recognition, touch, and then also pen. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, it's it's funny because like I certainly am Windows through and through. I like I bleed blue in my orientation. But, you know, it's not like people interact with Windows in the ether. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, you know, you're walking through and you smell Windows. It is entirely, entirely brought to life through hardware. And I think the Surface hardware, the, you know, I've gotten a chance to play. I'm not allowed to yet own. You know, we prioritize putting the volume into the channel. So, you know, it's like waiting for my Xbox. I'm like last in line. That being said, like the innovations to unlock those and marry those is one of the reasons we actually do Surface is it helps us have a level of empathy and understanding for how you bring Windows innovation through the object people interact with. And the new Surface Laptop Studio is this incredible product that takes advantage of not just previous innovation with touch and pen, but the advancements where you can actually modify the keyboard so it can be thumb oriented. You know, you have a lot of the things you've learned on touch devices like emojis and stuff like that at at the ready. The pen technology is is kind of mind blowing. In fact, it's the one thing that's really hard in this space is to feel and see the tactile response and the speed of the ink, as well as the conversion there. And then even things like voice, where you can do kind of touch to talk orientation, yeah. really changes where and how you can use a use a PC. And like one of the reasons I have all these daily drivers is, you know, I get a little bit sick of sitting in this bedroom. And so, you know, I'm gonna go down to the kitchen. Sometimes I get kicked out and I'm like doing calls from the car. Yesterday I was in a meeting at my kid's volleyball game. So like the life we live doesn't necessarily have to form to the tech. The tech has to form to the life we live. And so the hardware is an expression of that. And those two things have to move hand in hand. In fact, if, if anything, if you look at the legacy of Windows, you know, those two things have been this revolving ball in the sense that you get software innovation that unlocks hardware innovation, hardware innovation that unlocks software. And the thing that you really see in Windows 11 is that that cycle getting compressed in dramatic fashion so that you can do that almost simultaneously through the partnership, not just internally with Surface, but also all of our major OEMs. Yeah. 
I mean, if you look back, I mean, Microsoft hasn't been afraid to try new things and get ahead of new trends, right? I mean, you look back at like, look back at like Windows 8, right? Like that was a like, touch is the thing. Everybody's touching their computers. That's the thing. And maybe people weren't quite ready for that. But it seems that now Windows 11 has kind of melded that world and kind of fulfilled, at least it seems like the vision of a touch centric device that can also do things you're used to. Yeah, I think, you know, great innovations have really three things in common. They fundamentally feel like they take a step forward, meaning like it doesn't feel like you had it before. The second thing is it solves a real problem. And the third is timing. <laughs> the The hardest of those, by the way, is timing. <laughs> and, you know, we've had in Windows since I think 2002, the tablet PC, you know, we, we've had these trials that have been very niche in orientation. It really wasn't until Windows 8 certainly was an attempt, but Windows 10 took that to a scale where we see a massive portion of devices on Windows. I think what the uniqueness on Windows 11 versus the touch capabilities on Windows 10 is the realization that you cannot shift the user design based upon the input method. So even Windows 10, essentially a lot of the touch was now and then, and a lot of it was scroll and orientation, mimicking what you would do on a mouse. And then there was a tablet mode that very few people use that was optimized for touch. And the insight there is, A, people do want to touch their screens. They've learned how to do that, but they don't want to have to go through this mental shift or give up functionality. And so with Windows 11, the touch is really melded to the core user experience. And weirdly, it's going to feel both obvious and missing. And it's partially because you don't see the innovation. We make, as a finger goes close to the screen, you touch it, the touch targets, what the UX pays attention to, changes in size from like a high density interaction from like a mouse. And so you're going to be like, oh, I could easily grab that window, drag it apart, put it into snap, resize it. All things you can do with the mouse that would be difficult with the touch targets of 10 is going to feel obvious and seamless in 11. That takes a huge amount of work to do that well and great hardware so that you can actually do that quickly where there's not delays or you feel like there's drags. But to your point, that's been a a legacy, you know, and, and we're going to keep kind of innovating in that way and following customers and hopefully leading them as well. Because again, we want to fit people's lifestyle, not just innovate for innovation's yeah. sake. Cool. So let's end on this one. There's some new gaming features that Windows 11 has. And you mentioned you were a gamer, so I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about. Let's talk. I mean, we can talk about them all. But the one I was most interested in kind of talking about is I forget the term that the Xbox Series X and S use for accessing storage. Direct storage. Is that what it is? What's it called? Yeah, of course, I'm now like inspired by your miss of language. Before I get into it, I'm going to give you a little bit of love here, which is if you are a gamer, Windows is hands down the best platform. And before we get into even yeah. the, the unique features that we're going to get to, including direct storage, which is the, the name of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, I got you. I got you. The thing that drives that is games. Let's not be confused. You know, like uh, it's just unbelievable. The gaming, the experiences, the quality. And look, I've been a PC gamer forever. And so I you know, now and then console game, but it's like making sure none of my friends actually see me do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
And it's partially because, like, look, look, I love the Xbox, but let's let's be honest, like, gaming PC for life. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, yeah, I'm just I'm gonna take a hard stand, and you know, put my cap to the side. I'm Xbox all the way, just just so you know. All right, hey, Xbox all the way. Unabashedly Xbox all the way. I love that. Look, and now you know what? We're gonna come together. If you play Destiny Two, I can play on my PC. You can play on your console. We'll get it going. All right. True. All right. So you're right. There are there are a lot of features. There are a lot of new games coming that that take advantage of honestly just the infrastructure. The one that you're talking about specifically is direct storage. Direct storage is a series of APIs and hardware standards that really allow you to pull game data directly from the SSD and skip the CPU processing. Okay, that's all. A lot of mumbo jumbo. The thing that you and I are going to appreciate is the game load times. That's the thing I think that people will be like legit one of those magical moments where if you have a title that supports it on hardware that supports it with Windows 11, you are going to see a massive shift in game load times. There's other benefits of that, by the way, in terms of GPU processing and compression and gameplay and game quality. But that's one where it's just going to be kind of next level. And so it is a feature. I will also tell you, it's one of the benefits of also as a company making Xbox is you get the opportunity to steal, you know, (laughs) honestly, you know, you get an entire set of culture at Microsoft that spend nothing but every hour thinking about gaming, you know, like I've also got to think about Fortune 500 considerations relative to deployment. So it robs me of those critical hours. But that that feature is going to be literally legit. And it's one that we've we've really brought from the team and culture and, and looking at problems that they were trying to solve with the Xbox over to Windows. When it comes to DirectX, which is not, again, as a console gamer, admittedly, not my biggest area of expertise, but I see it, I see it listed as, hey, here's a major new thing in Windows 11. What is that doing for for the gamers? Well, DirectX, you know, weirdly, it's not so much for gamers. It's for game developers and gamers experience the benefit of that. And so DirectX has been a standard. We continue to move that progressively along to take advantage of, of really metal advancements. So GPU advancements and whatnot. You know, the thing I think, you know, along with direct storage, which is going to improve game performance on those systems and game load times, probably the one I would actually call, and it's one that also... We first introduced, to your point, on the Xbox, was probably Auto HDR. And that is one where I think people are going to see it, and it's going to be available utilizing those types of developer skills out there to improve. And the net there is, you can imagine people trying to play games on this massive variance of hardware. You know, it'll improve essentially incrementally, regardless of where you're at on that curve, kind of the graphics that you actually see. And so that's a good example of that type of tech. But look, you know, at the end of the day, here's what I'd say is, you know, if you're a gamer, you have more titles with more ways to actually get those titles with probably world-class. I'd put some console competition in there on the Windows platform with better performance from start to finish to play. And I really think people are going to kind of really grok that. I will also say like some of the integration with the Xbox Game Pass is also going to be really fascinating. I think it's going to lower the cost for those kind of AAA titles as a kind of a package deal, but it's also going to extend to a whole host of people that want to play, but for a variety of reasons today don't have the hardware that's supported through game streaming. I think 
you know, it's so fascinating. Like I go to some of these esports events as an example, and you know, you're incredibly aware of the number of people that care and watch outweigh the number of people that play. And so that the idea of lowering that barrier and getting more people just, you know, the ability to play is 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 pretty fascinating. And so I think gamers are going to fall in love with that. I think there's going to be more gamers because of it. And I'm just incredibly thankful for the, you know, not just the game community, but the game developers and and the hardware manufacturers that continue to invest in like bleeding edge tech on Windows. Aaron Woodman, Vice President of Windows Marketing. Thank you for taking the time. I'm, I know this has been a busy week. Next week's going to be a busy week. Carving out some time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. I loved it. Really, really enjoyable. Thank you. Aaron, thank, again, to echo Andrew, thank you. This is a, a blast actually talk to somebody who got to see things behind the scenes, see the development, how things came. I think maybe dispel some some thoughts and misconceptions and preconceived notions about Windows in general. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.